Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Colorado Hunting Hub. This podcast is designed to talk about everything hunting in Colorado, whether you're a new hunter, old timer, or something else. Colorado Hunting Hub will have something for you. I'm your host, Clint Whitley, and let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to Colorado Hunting Hub. In this episode, we have Travis Duncan from Colorado Parks and Wildlife to come on and chat with us about the new draw system that's in place. Uh, there's a primary draw, which has already happened. It's May 18th at this moment, but the secondary draw has not happened. And so that's why I brought him on to give us a little enlightenment on what this is, what opportunities are out there, to give us an idea of those that may have missed that date or for the primary draw or uh, have other goals in mind for getting tags and secondary draw is perfectly fine. So we're going to get a little bit of information on that. We ask a few other questions and see what uh what we can learn about the draw system here in colorado once again we want to thank i hunt colorado for taking us on and helping me with the podcast and want to thank onyx for giving us some onyx memberships to give away check out the link on our facebook page at colorado hunting hub to get that link like some pictures or follow me on Instagram, even on Twitter now, so you can see the episode updates. Email me, clint.a.whitley at gmail.com if you have any comments, concerns, questions, things you want covered. Other than that, thanks for listening, and we'll see uh, what we can learn about this raw system with Travis. Thanks, again. thanks Travis, for coming on to our show and giving us a little info on the draw process we've already missed the primary draw but it'd be nice to maybe attach 
tap into that a little bit for future years. But first of all, can you give us a little understanding of what your primary role with Colorado Parks and Wildlife is? Sure. So I'm a statewide public information officer. Uh, so I'm responsible for media inquiries and um, letting letting the public know, the public and the media know uh, about big statewide changes that might be going on with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, you know, so we we're, we're a statewide agency and we get a lot of calls about lots of different things, whether it be parks or wildlife encounters, um, all kinds of different things. So uh, my job is varied and, and very interesting. Is it is it right? Do I have that right that the uh, like all the news emails and updates come from you? Not all of them. So I, I have um, another counterpart who's also a statewide public information officer. Um, so we handle more statewide issues, uh, but we also help out our regional public information officers. So there's there's four regional public information officers. If you take Colorado and uh, draw an, you know draw it as into quadrants, you've got um, basically a public information officer who handles each of the regions more on a on a regional, more local level than we do. But um, I cover uh, actually for the southeast region quite a bit because I, I actually live in Colorado Springs and commute to Denver uh, when there's not a pandemic going on. So. Um, so yeah, so we we all have our have our hands in in different parts of the state, even on a regional level. When we're when you know those folks are on vacation or or when they have say paternity leave or whatever. So right, and I've actually been really enjoying those those little updates. I went and subscribed to a couple more of the different news outlets on CPW's website and kind of enjoying some of those updates just to read, pay attention to like the most recent thing you guys put out was the opening of state wildlife or no, uh, uh, state parks areas again. So that was good to know. It kind of looked like you did a progressive opening last week and just paying attention to those things and, and realizing there's a lot more information to know than what gets published in a handbook every year. So that's been kind of helpful just to be an informed person. Definitely. You can, you can sign up like, like you did for, um, you know, to, to receive those emails or, uh, you know, if you don't want it in your inbox, you can go to, go to our website and, um, and see those, those, uh, press release updates on the bottom right part of the homepage. All the press releases are automatically updated on there. So you can scroll through there and see what's going on. And, and right now we have the, the main part of the page updated with, um, it's big yellow block that says COVID-19 information where just the latest going on with campgrounds or whatever is changing, you know, changing by the day, um, with the, with the pandemic situation, we're, we're keeping that updated there. So it's a good, good resource for sure. And then we also are starting something with each of the four regions. So it's cool that you mentioned that because I got off the phone just last week with Randy from the Northwest region and chatted with him about his region. And then we're going to hit all four, if we can, just about some more specifics about that area. What's the area comprised of the terrain, the types of units, how those units are managed as far as tag allocation and herd outlook, just a good variety uh, to give those hunters a good idea of kind of each of those quadrants. It was, and Northwest is where I live and, and where I mostly recreate. So that one was really interesting to me. We just haven't published that yet. So uh, we'll be getting that out as soon as we can get as many of those regions as possible. Nice. But how long, how long have you been with CPW? Uh, it'll be three years in August. Nice. Where, where would, what's your background? What, what else have you done or how'd you get to CPW? 
Um, communications work. Uh, so I, I worked for um, Colorado Springs City Council uh, as their public information guy for a while. I, um, I worked uh, at uh, Pikes Peak Library District in Colorado Springs and in their communications department. Um, I worked as a reporter for the Gazette in Colorado Springs for four years. So, um, you know, writing uh, media communications work, uh, you know, for, I, I suppose, 15-ish years. <laughs> you would probably be far better at this podcasting thing than I am then. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, you're, you're working on the fly and you don't have, you know, you don't have that time to, I guess, uh, you go back and make sure all your words are correct you gotta just do it on the fly so i think i think your your skills are are, are good and probably different than mine for sure <laughs> uh i just thought it'd be fun it's a little little tricky as far as the in the communications world of putting yourself out there a little bit that's always a little yeah. nerve-wracking and and uh i'm sure you can relate a little bit to that because i'm i'm definitely an introvert which is kind of maybe in the <laughs> odd world of people putting publications out there in different forms. Uh, but I'm an introvert. And so that's, that's been a little, little tricky for my personality to, to publish my voice out there. So not something I've ever really dove into before, but it's been fun. One other thing I like to, uh, ask some guests, it's just, how do you, how do you personally recreate what your, what, what works for you? Uh, well, I, I love hiking and fishing. I, I actually grew up in Indiana and did a lot of hiking and fishing growing up. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, my go-to, you know, I love getting on trails and I love, I love fishing. Um, but actually this past year I, I took part in something called the rookie sports person program, um, that they, they run out of the Southeast region. I, I think the Southeast is, is hopeful that they might be able to expand it to, uh, other parts of the state, but um, basically families apply uh, to the program and it's for folks who don't have a, a lot, if any, hunting experience. And they take them through a year's worth of, of hunting from from getting your uh, hunter ed certificate to uh, small game hunting to, to going up uh, big game hunting. Um, you do all kinds of stuff. They also fish. They also do fishing and they just really uh, spend the year uh, getting to know different families, getting out in the outdoors, participating and finding out all about, you know, what there is to do in the, in uh, Colorado outdoors. Um, so it's really a fantastic program. If you, if you live in that area of the state and are able to do it, I know some folks commuted in from a little ways away. Um, but uh, I did it with my daughter and um, it was fantastic. So I learned a lot, um, you know, that that's helped me with my job and just, just helped me understand um, you know, what goes into, um, I guess the mindset of different, different hunting seasons or different, you know, different sports. And, and I really enjoy doing it with my daughter. Uh, so we got to go, I don't know, we went pheasant hunting out, out East. Um, we, uh, went on a pronghorn hunt, which I was unsuccessful on, but it was fun. Uh, went on a spring Turkey hunt, um, caught some fish down at Lake Pueblo, um, just had a fantastic year. And, um, I would, I would highly recommend it for folks who might not have a lot of hunting experience. I, I know that might not be your core listener, but, um, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it, it may be, it really could be, uh, <laughs> though, because where I'm advertising this too, it's, it's very well possible, but what, what was the name of that program? It's called the rookie sports person program. Um, you can, you can find it on our website. If you Google CPW and 
uh, rookie sports person program that'll come up and it's got information about you, you apply at the beginning of each year and they um, they look at the applications and they're basically looking for families who don't have a lot of experience, you know, and so they can introduce them to to the sport and and get more folks involved and, you know, let them know how fun it is to get outside and do these different activities. That's pretty comprehensive, it sounds like. And one of those things that people really need if you're looking into getting into this, because on I Hunt Colorado's Facebook page, you see those comments all the time of, hey, just moved here. Hey, I'm interested in getting involved. And if you're uh, just an average dude, you get some nasty comments. <laughs> People are not. Really? They, they, oh, yeah. They say, go back to go back to South Dakota. Go back to wherever. Or some others are very welcoming and, and say, oh, try this. Go check out this. So that's really, I've never actually heard of that. I, I've heard of some other programs and it. I guess it is not in our region, but if there's possibility for expansion, I'll be interested in, in digging into that and sharing that with uh, not necessarily a podcast, but where I work. And I, I have a lot of conversations with folks in my work that they want to start, they want to do this, but they don't have a clue and to, to walk around the woods with a high power rifle. They don't feel comfortable necessarily doing that, but having a little more guidance than just okay, here's the hunter egg class. We shoot 10 rounds with a 22. Off you go. Go, go find right. an elk. <laughs> right. I would say, you know, the, right. One of the most helpful things about it was all the time we spent at the shooting range. They had um, some really knowledgeable instructors um, in addition to uh, Parks and Wildlife officers uh, there to answer all your questions. So lots of time at the shooting range. And that was that was huge as far as uh, just getting comfortable um, with with the type of gun you're going to be using and just getting comfortable with what you're doing if you if you hadn't grown up with it you know just getting into it for the first time so uh, being able to to do that and share that with my daughter was was absolutely fantastic fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, that's cool. That's cool to see CPW looking at those not-so-immediate effects that they're going to get. They're, they're creating hunters for a lifetime and not just they may get some of those folks buying a license the next year, but they're looking at the long, long run. So that's pretty neat and yeah. right in my line of work. So I think that's cool. <laughs> nice. But the the reason why we, we brought you on, that was, I'm, we didn't plan on talking about that, but I'm glad we did. I no <laughs> idea. Uh, the reason we brought you on is to talk about this draw stuff. And I've got listeners, uh, actually a big spike in folks from New York, uh, which is kind of cool. Really? And huh. yeah, lots of, lots of Michigan, lots of Arizona. Uh, so staying on top of that as a non-resident is very hard. I'm sure the, the changes, uh, but a lot of Colorado listeners, obviously. And so can you give us just a quick rundown of kind of the, the primary and secondary draw, what the purpose is, just an overview? I will do my best. So so the primary draw, the primary big game draw, that gives hunters the opportunity to draw a license before anyone else. So that's 
that's the incentive to get to get your application in for that big game draw. And it's for those, you know, for those dream hunts, for those hunts, you, you know, those areas of Colorado you really want to hunt or that specific species you really want to hunt in that area of Colorado. You're not guaranteed to get it, but um, but you might, you know, you might get that fantastic hunt you're looking for. Um, so, so every year you, you put in for that, um, and if, and you can have second, third and fourth choices as well. Um, if you, if you don't get what you're looking for, if you don't get that first choice, you, you might draw your second, third or fourth. And, and if you don't get it, you'll also have the option to purchase a preference point. So preference points will, you know, accumulate on your, on your account and make it more likely that you'll get that your first choice the next year. That's the idea. Um, there's a lot of complicated stuff that goes into preference points that I still don't understand, but that's the basic idea is that the more preference points you accumulate, the better chance you're going to have uh, to get that draw you're looking for your first choice. So, so that's the main idea, I guess, behind, behind the primary draw. Um, folks can, let's see, what else can I say about the primary draw? Um, youth do receive a preference um, on a minimum of 15% of limited license for doe pronghorn antlerless in either sex deer and antlerless elk for each GMU. Uh, so that's for ages 12 to 17. If you have your hunter education uh, requirement. Um, and I guess, you know, that's the, that's the, the main, the main thing about the, the primary draw. If you check out the big game brochure, I would suggest people do that every year uh, because it's got all the, the new and latest information. It's got the, the deadline dates. So uh, for this year, the, the deadline was April 7th uh, for the, for the primary draw. Um, so if you didn't get in for the primary draw this year, that's okay. Uh, the, but if you did, the draw results are going to be posted online between June 1st and 5th. So so coming up here in a few weeks, those folks who did uh, get their applications in, we'll, we'll find out how they did. Um, and again, we're talking about big game. We're talking about uh, deer, elk, pronghorn, moose, and bear. So um, you can Google CPW big game brochure. I would suggest folks check it out. And especially even if you hunt every year, go to the, the front part of the booklet where it's got the what's new section. Um, it's a really good section just for finding out what's changed, what our commission might've changed since, you know, last year when you hunted, just to make sure you, you know, there's not, you're not going to be surprised by anything. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a basic overview, I guess, of the, of the primary draw. And then the secondary draw, um, can I tell you about the secondary draw? So, so that's new this year. It, it replaces the leftover draw that we've had previously. And, uh, but so there's some slight changes with that, but the basic idea is uh, the hunters who didn't draw a license in the primary draw um, can apply in that, but you don't necessarily have to have applied. Uh, that was the case in the leftover draw with the new secondary draw. They've, they've got rid of that requirement. So um, anyone can apply for that secondary draw. And the idea is it's the licenses that, that didn't get picked up in the primary draw go into that secondary draw for folks. Um, got it. So, so there's, there's lots of, you know, different things about the secondary draw and I could go through some of them, just like the primary draw, a, a qualifying license is required. Um, so a, a qualifying license is, is you need to have a small game license now to hunt big game or to apply to hunt big game in Colorado. Um, our commission, uh, voted that in last year, um, they did that for, for a number of reasons. It, one is that it brings us in line with, with a lot, what other Western states are doing. Some, some states um, don't even have, they don't even have like a small game license. It's just the license you have to have to apply for big games. So the fact that you could 
hunt small game with it is is kind of a bonus. That's that was part of the discussion when they voted in and was like they wanted a license that had some value to folks. Um, and um, so let's see, make sure I'm talking right about it. So. It's similar to other Western states that require customers to purchase a base hunting license uh, prior to applying for the draw. Um, in addition to the qualifying license revenue, Colorado receives additional federal match funds. Uh, so that's the idea. If, without that qualifying license, we, you get folks who aren't necessarily contributing to maintaining that wildlife habitat every year. They're just applying for their dream hunt and then they're they're accumulating preference points, but they're not necessarily, a, a lot of those dollars aren't really going back into maintaining wildlife habitat. Um, so that's why other states do it. Uh, that's that's why we do it. Um, so so that's why I can tell you about a qualifying license and whether you're applying for the the primary draw or the, or the secondary draw, you're going to need to have a qualifying license. Got it. Yeah, the, you see a lot of states. I, I've looked, I don't hunt many other states. I hunt uh, I'm applying for two, two others. So, but seeing, seeing a lot of the others you see for sure, uh, our neighboring state, Utah, I've looked into that and yeah, you got to buy a license there for a, yeah. a not so guaranteed tag at all. And that makes a lot of sense now that you say that, well, you've got all these people trying to invest into a tag and they're not really giving back in any other way if they're not getting the tag. So having a license there that gives a, a some value back to the habitat that they will come and enjoy or the the, the unit that they'll come and enjoy someday when they do draw. So that makes sense. On top of now you've got a small game license you can come and hunt or you can come and uh, if they bought the combo, come and fish or whatever. So right, that makes sense. we're hoping more folks get out there and, and learn about small game hunting. If you haven't before, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity out there. So, so yeah, that's the thinking too. It's, it, it might draw more folks into getting into small game hunting who maybe were just into big game hunting before. Yeah. And why exactly did this change come about the secondary draw? Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more as to why they felt like this secondary draw was more important than a previous system. Um, is it looking to, to is it looking to like was. improving something or improving or avoiding a previous issue at all? Um, let's see. The main purpose behind the secondary draw um, is to reduce the amount of leftover and reissued license that go on sale in August. Uh, so it can be, so if you notice some of the changes, for instance, it could be a big advantage for, for youth who might have missed out on that first draw. So I think that was a thinking with this. They change it. So uh, this is a 100% youth hunter preference, uh, meaning, you know, youth could could completely draw a hunt before it even goes to to adults. So uh, I think they wanted to get more young young folks involved in hunting. I think that was a, a thought. Um, let's see what else. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I think that was a, a big part of it. I'm, I'm not sure that that was all of it, um, but. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's totally fine. Uh, and then he kind of explained a little bit, but how does this increase opportunity more having another over and, and I guess we can say it reduces the numbers off of that, that leftover draw, but how does that, how does this increase those opportunities? 
So the old leftover draw only offered deer and elk licenses uh, and was only available to customers who participated in the primary draw um, and selected leftover draw as their unsuccessful option. So this new secondary draw offers two more species, bear and pronghorn licenses, uh, which it didn't have before uh, with, uh, with the leftover, uh, in addition to deer and elk licenses and is open to all customers, whether they applied in the primary draw or not. So in that sense, it's increasing opportunity um, as well as for youth. Um, the secondary draw applicants still need to purchase a qualifying license uh, with the with habitat stamp and application fee for each species. But um, the idea is it's increasing the opportunity for youth and for uh, those those two new species for the for the sorry for the bear and pronghorn licenses that weren't in it before. Yeah, the so my next question you've already kind of answered, but let me just recap to make sure I understand it. And youth hunting is one thing I know jack about i don't know anything about it really because i have a two-year-old and one day i'll i'll dive into it and under, understand it more but uh so what i understand is that in the secondary draw youth will have a like you said 100 percent preference like they'll fill youth tags first and then right move on to adults so the the draw will process all all the youth application choices prior to processing the adult choices so a hunt could be completely drawn by youth before the, it even gets to the adult application stage. So when it says 100% preference, it means if a youth applies in that draw, it's going they're going to have a very good chance of drawing the license because the youth are going to be processed first before it goes to the adult application stage. And isn't there a little bit of, even in the primary, is there a little push to give more youth tags in that? Or I, I suppose it's, you say you got a tag that requires four years to get it, a, a, there's a different calculation for youth or something like that. So, so in the, yeah, in the primary draw, youth receive preference on it's a minimum of 15% of the limited license for doe, pronghorn, antlerless, and either sex deer, and antlerless elk for each GMU uh, for youth ages 12 to 17 who have their, their hunter ed. So, um, so yeah, there's there's still yeah. a preference given in the in the primary, but it's it's hundred so fifteen percent at least in in the GMUs in the primary, and then in in the secondary draw, it's it's a hundred percent. Got it. Yeah, because that's growing up hunting. I've been hunting with my family since I was twelve, and I can't. I remember in Western South Dakota, we would draw uh, like three deer tags, all of us, my whole family, each each person three deer so you'd you'd come home with a tr truckload of deer wow. and i and that was a time when uh before mountain lions were heavy in that area before uh some other things that reduced some of their numbers but getting a tag was no big deal and filling it yeah. really wasn't much of a deal either but also was lucky enough to be on a, a big ranch uh with some friends but uh nice there was there was always that guarantee we're going to get a tag. We're going to get a tag. And just the other day, I, I had a complaint from someone, a friend saying, my kid didn't draw a cow tag. And they're like, it just in this, uh, um, I don't know when they were talking, if that was last year or whatever, but that's a bummer. But if, when I dove into it a little further, well, it was one of those units that is hurting severely for their herd and anyone getting a tag anywhere and with, with a number of preference points, sometimes it just 
kind of have to look at those stats and do your homework. And yeah. the unit, another example of the unit I live in, I live in 42. If you apply for a doe tag in this unit, you're not going to get it. There's only a handful given out. You have much higher chance giving, getting a buck tag. So understanding some of those stats, even for the youth to know how many tags are given out is kind of important so that they have a chance. Cause you really don't want to miss out on that year for that kid when especially I, when I'm thinking back being a 12, 13 year old, I wasn't as involved as sports as I was high school and college there. I didn't have the time necessarily to do more than a one hunt a year. So that time as a little kid to get, grab that, that, uh, fun family trip or, uh, whatever that was, uh, like you said, with your daughter going on or going on the, those different hunts and things was, I mean, those are memories she won't forget. I'm sure. Cause I, I, I did, I had those similar things that I don't, I didn't haven't forgot a single one. So yeah, the whole time yeah. I was going through it, I kept having those thoughts like, ah, oh, my, my daughter is never going to forget this. She's going to grow up and you know, we're going to be talking about all the cool stuff we got to do in this program, you know? So, so yeah. yeah, it's, it's fantastic experience. It's worth getting out there with your kids for sure. I, I was going to brought this up to my wife yesterday. I said, I want to take my kid tank camping, just go on and me <laughs> and my two-year-old go throw them in a, uh, go do a, a, a small hike on my back and, and then sleep in the tent and come home the next day, just a simple little thing. And, he gets all squirrely when he's in our, in our camper. So, uh, <laughs> and I know he'll never, never remember it, but this is, he'll associate these sorts of things over time, even as a real young, young kid. So, uh, I, I look forward to those times when he can engage a little bit more. That'll be fun. Yeah. I, yeah, I bet it surprised you what, what he remembers. I, my dad used to carry me as about that age, like two or three in a Jerry carrier. And I have some of my first, I think they call them Jerry carriers. I don't know why they're called Jerry carriers, but that's what they were called. And like, huh. like on his back, you know, and I remember like probably being like three, four, you know, riding around in that thing on trails in Indiana. So, um, right. yeah, I'd say get out there and do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's all about creating that that norm of what what your family just does, and I get those comments yeah. all the time from family because I am the one that's obsessed with the outdoors in my family, and <laughs> they ask that question all the time. What if he doesn't like the hunt? What if he doesn't like? Well, I don't know. He's just going to be raised in it. It's going to be a part of life. It's <laughs> something that yeah. we do every year. And when he gets into adulthood, he doesn't want to do it. Okay. But uh, yeah. I'm going to raise him to appreciate the outdoors. That's the number one thing I want him to do, at least appreciate it and yeah. understand it. So, yeah. They'll like being outdoors and, and being and getting to play, you know, in the dirt and exploring bugs. And, you know, so they'll yeah. just being outside, they'll enjoy it. Yeah. If he becomes a bird hunter one day, great. If it's a fly <laughs> fisherman one day, great. I don't care. <laughs> as long as, no. long as he's enjoying it or just a hiker, don't care. As long as he appreciates, yeah. it, appreciates it. So back to the secondary draw stuff, you had mentioned you need a qualifying license. 
can you touch on some of the points stuff? Uh, do we use points? Can you gain points in the secondary draw? So no preference points in the in the secondary draw. Um, so they they don't matter. Yeah, that's that's the idea. I think that's another change from the from the uh, leftover draw. I think I think I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, it says what still applies, so maybe it wasn't the case. But but in any case, no preference points for for the secondary draw. Um, you still have to have your application fee for each species. So that's seven dollars for a resident and nine dollars for a non-resident to to apply for each species. Um, what else? And and there's no group hunts. And there's no group hunt applications with the with the secondary draw. Um, oh, okay. Th- yeah, that's a that that's a good thing to point out. I didn't. I guess I wouldn't have realized that. And for those people wondering what that means, is just could you touch on that real quick? Yeah, a little bit. Although I'm I'm no expert and I haven't ever applied that way. I know that a lot of people that's how they apply, and you have when you apply, you can apply as a group, and you put you know whoever the leader is kind of as the the main applicant uh, in your group, and then um, kind of the idea is you you're wanting all of your group to all get a tag and be in the same area. So so that's that's how those are awarded if if you happen to get get that. So um, that basically doesn't doesn't apply with with the secondary draw. Got it. Yeah. What other, no, my other questions. Uh, so when does this draw open? Is there a list of what's available? When's it open? When's it close? So it, it opens June 5th. Uh, applications are accepted June 5th through July 7th at 8 PM. Um, and a list of the eligible hunt codes for the secondary draw are going to be posted on June 5th. So, uh, you can go to our website and, and see them then. Uh, and then, so once you've applied, then the, the draw results are going to be posted online for the secondary draw July 17th. And so that's after we get primary results. We'll have a clue on those. Those will get posted. Then the... the Right. Okay. So Good the deal. draw results for the, for the primary draw will be posted June 1st through 5th. Uh, and then June 5th is when the secondary draw go, opens up. Uh. So you've, you've answered another question, I think, already, too. The algorithms involved with determining success. Do you know anything about kind of the, the primary? And we've already talked about 100% to, to, uh, to youth. But in the secondary draw, for just a resident adult like myself, is there? Is it just... Uh, everybody's in the same well you said there's no points so you're going to have a better shot at getting a license in that secondary job because you're not going to be competing in a sense with uh, all the folks with all the preference points in that primary draw um so that's that's as basic as i as i can put it in what i know and and clint you know we could probably find you folks who are way way more versed on this uh on this issue and how all how they're all allocated it, it gets pretty complicated as far as the yeah. algorithms for how they get determined. Um, every time I hear it explained, I, I have to, you know I mean? I, I don't quite understand, but, but we've got yeah, folks in parks and wildlife who are good at explaining it. And yeah, I don't, I don't really dive too much into that at all either. And it, that's for the stats nut, uh, <laughs> not non-residents. What non-residents have a chance at some of these tags as well. Yep. Yep. Same, same resident or non-resident can also apply for, for secondary draw. Um, they just, 
they have to have you know pay the application fee nine dollars for for non-residents for per species for the secondary draw uh so that's the main thing to know and they they need a qualifying license so so just want folks to not be surprised when they get in there and have to get that that small game license to to be able to hunt big game right so then we had a primary secondary draw after that because a lot of people don't necessarily plan ahead or they uh they miss some things or whatever what what's left what's the what other options do people have for a typical deer elk antelope so any licenses that remain after that secondary draw um, are going to be placed on the the leftover list and they'll be available for purchase uh, on what we call leftover day um, which starts august 4th at 9 a.m so so that's that's a big day at our offices uh We'll see how it goes this year. You know, uh, we're, I think we're, you know, I'm trying to make plans to reopen our offices safely right now. Uh, and, let, and so we'll see what leftover day looks like this year when we get to August 4th. Uh, but but typically folks, uh, you know, come into our offices, they might be camped out, you know, in years past to, to get those licenses when they go on sale. Although you don't have to. A lot of people like that in-person touch, uh, I guess, or, you know, want to make sure they're getting the right license. So they like to talk to an employee, uh, but you could do it all online it's just they go on sale august 4th at 9 a.m so um you know we we had good luck last year um in the previous before last year the previous couple years we've had our servers just um got hammered by folks you know because so many folks are online trying to get those licenses uh but last year it went pretty well we had pretty good feedback that you know our servers were able to handle it so i think this year we should be good as well um so august 4th at 9 a.m anything that's left over is available on leftover day and folks can get, get those licenses then. Yeah. That's like the black Friday for hunters. I've been on that and I am waiting, waiting till that eight o'clock or whatever it was <laughs> and click, 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 click. And I still can't get it clicked fast <laughs> enough. So yeah. uh, only wishing my internet was faster. I could click through, but, uh, so they got leftover and then over the counter tags, of course. And, there's some things going on. It seems like with reissue, uh, I took a survey earlier this year on reissue tags and that's when people turn them in, uh, can't go, they, whatever. Uh, so can you explain that reissue process at all? Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the, you know, you did a good job explaining the reissue. It's, it's those tags that people might've turned in or weren't able to use. And so, um, folks can get reissued, uh, licenses, uh, those, those, uh, let's see. So any license that is returned before August 3rd, um, and is eligible to be reissued will be available August 4th at 9am. So same, same time. Um, any license returned after that date will, will be available starting August 11th at 9am. So, um, so yeah, then you do get a few of those reissued licenses every year that folks weren't able to use for whatever reason, uh, that they'd go on sale there at leftover day as well. So it kind of looks like from that survey, it took CPW is trying to figure out how to pump those reissues out as far as putting them throughout the week during a business through all the way to the season. I've picked up a tag on there. One day I was, I may have been working and <laughs> teaching a class at the time. And I went over to my desk every half hour and hit refresh, refresh, refresh. <laughs> I did that for about a week until I picked up early <laughs> egg. 
and uh, just told my kids, okay, go back here, work on this. I gotta, I gotta buy this tank quick. (laughs) And they all knew what I was doing, but the, uh, (laughs) it looks like there could be some, some changes coming along with that reissue. I'm I'm curious to see what happens and what the survey results show and how they're going to be putting those out. Cause they're, I can see, I had somebody ask, well, why don't they put reissue on the second secondary draw? But that happened so fast. And for though they, they just find out draw results. So I'm sure there's very few reissue tags at that time. And then for that to even get on that draw, they're not gonna, I would assume. So they would all have to go on that, that leftover. So which, and over time into the season or into past that august 8th and so on some of those reissues just keep getting added occasionally so uh yeah that'll be interesting to see kind of kind of what comes of that uh anything else in the 2020 2025 big game management plan that was put out as far as draw changes for the next four years or is that about kind of the same things that'll be about the same anything else we can kind of look forward to is for changes or not look forward to? <laughs> um, I mean, if, if folks want to dig into, you know, the five-year big game season structure, I definitely encourage them to, to do so. I don't know um, what I would, what I would point out, uh, you know, specifically about it, just to, to remind folks that, you know, we operate on a five-year season structure. Uh, the, the latest one was approved for 2020 to 2024. If you, if you Google CPW big game season structure, you can, you can pull up the, the page on our website and, and see what the, the final approved season structure looks like. You know, it's a, it's a big process of going out to the public, you know, finding out what they're seeing on the ground, you know, finding out what our, what our biologists are seeing on the ground, you know, with their uh, herd surveys and, and what they're seeing with, uh, you know, the, the sex ratios and the different units and, um, you know, talking about the success of different kinds of hunting, you know, how is muzzle loader doing in this unit? What are the, what's the feedback we're getting from the archers, you know? Uh, so it's a, it's a long and complicated process, I would say. And if you want to know all the, you know, the individual changes, the best thing you could do is, is open up that, that document and, and just kind of dig in, you know, there's, cause, because it really starts to dig, dig down to, you know, how's archery elk hunting doing in this season, in this area. And, you know, so, um, I would just say, you know, if you're, if you're into it and get in there and dig in and there's, there's plenty to, plenty to read, uh, about, about, you know, what, what we're thinking for 20, 2020 to 2024. You bring up a, a good point there and that's just to be informed really. And I, I, I think a lot of that can avoid if people are more informed and, and do a little research maybe they'll complain less. I don't know. Maybe they'll have an understanding <laughs> or maybe they'll complain more. I don't know. But, uh, cause I, I complain about things and I'm happy about other things. So <laughs> you are not going to make, we're not going to make everybody happy. You're, you're making a decision for a lot of hunters and recreators as well. So. Yeah. And there's, and you know, we're managing for the, for the health of the herd, you know, it's uh, and so we, we want, right. We're managing and for multiple uses, right? For for all, for folks who are out there on the landscape for all kinds of different reasons, and uh, so we're we're keeping the wildlife healthy and also uh, managing for folks who are who hunt different seasons, different different methods of take, and uh, trying to balance all those all those interests, you know. So 
um, it's it's a messy business, but it's a good and important one, you know. And so um, you're right; we're not always going to make everyone happy, but we definitely um, try to listen to what folks are telling us and and try to try to make the best decisions we can for for wildlife and for people. Randy said the exact same thing about managing really? for the health of the herd. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and that's that's a obviously what you guys are doing. You're you're focusing on the herd, not necessarily on making uh, everybody happy. <laughs> if we made everybody right. happy, maybe our health, our, our herd would not be the biggest herd in the country. You know, Colorado's got the most elk over any other state. So I think that, that says something right there that yeah. we, we, and, and we you have know, our the... reductions and we have, we have areas that are doing great and other ones are struggling, but overall we get a lot of elk. Yeah. Yeah. No, the biggest, like in the Northwest, like you said, the biggest elk, her- elk herds in North America, we have uh, fantastic herds here. And and I know your listeners are going to know this Clint, but as a, you know, as a public information officer who, who covers all kinds of outdoor recreation issues. And um, one of the big things I, I try to let folks know about is that North American model of wildlife conservation. The reason you can see wildlife, the reason you can see elk in Colorado is, is because of hunting. It's because, you know, because of the North American model where hunter hunter dollars or angler dollars go back into protecting the resource. Um, and a lot of, a lot of folks just don't know, you know, that I think there's, there can be a misconception on the part of folks who don't uh, participate in those activities that, that if we just left nature alone, it would be just fine, you know? Um, and so, and so a big part of what I try to stress is that, you know, our, we have biologists who got into this field, they do what they do because they believe in, in protecting animals and animal herds and, and those populations so that future generations can go on a hike in Colorado and see elk and, and see bear and see these things. Um, you don't necessarily have to hunt or fish, you know what I mean? That doesn't have to be your thing, but you should know that, that that's how it's funded. You know, that's why, um, that's why these animals aren't extinct. You know, elk at some point were extirpated in Colorado and, and hunting, um, intelligently with the North American model uh, brought them back to where we have healthy herds again. So, and that's the case with a lot of, a lot of animals all, all across the continent. So, um, this, I spread that message as much as I can. So, so that folks understand. It's probably kind of scary how few people have actually read that model. And yeah. I will admit, I, I didn't read it until not long ago. I understood kind of the purpose of decisions based on science and uh, the, where the kind of the flow of money and some of that. I understood that, but I never really read it. So I think as soon as we get done with this, I'm going to record one, just reading the thing <laughs> because I've, I, I did it. I read kind of explained it in a, uh, another episode, but it was all connected to the Bobcat trap or the trapping band petition that we had, but that's null and void right now anyway. So uh, I, I might just redo that exact, that thing when we're done. But nice. uh, the whole point of this episode and bringing you on, I thought, I think uh, we accomplished it greatly. It, and that was just to bring some attention, a little awareness to a new change. It's scary again to see how many people don't read the brochure every year. They read it once when they were 12 and they may <laughs> not have touched on it again. And they just go word of mouth as to what the changes were. Uh, but I nerd out on some of that, some of the changes and what, what happens. Cause I, I like to stay informed. So this I think was a success in, in sharing that and getting some excitement behind 
those draw things. I know people get excited about it's it's a lottery <laughs> and getting to see uh, and playing the game and the stats and, and some of that's kind of fun. Uh, and, and so that was, I think, an important thing is bringing some awareness to uh, a change so that people can be more successful in the draw and they ultimately be more successful in the field. So Definitely. Travis, I want to thank you again for coming yeah. on and, and chatting with us today and giving up 43 minutes of your time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Appreciate it. And it was, it's been great talking with you. Right outside of this one church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.